Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Dear 2020, can we just... Start over. I'm Dawn Porter, and I've been thinking about life in lockdown, mostly from a cupboard. My new book, Life in Pieces, is full of thoughts on everything from bad hair and parenting to things we can control and the things we can't. When everything's falling apart, we'll piece it back together. Life in Pieces is out now in hardback, ebook, and audiobook. Hi, I'm Dorno Porter and welcome to So Lucky, my new podcast series where each week I go deep with my guest and explore all of the sides to all of their stories. We go for the highs and the lows, their hopes and fears, and of course their lucky and unlucky moments. My first guest for you in this series is the brilliant comedian Sarah Pascoe and strap yourself in because we really go there. I've always known Sarah as a very funny, very strong woman, which she absolutely is. But this interview wasn't about a laugh a minute. She took me to a different place that I wasn't expecting and I'm really grateful to Sarah for that. We talked about Sarah's own definition of luck, uh, how she learned to be, in her own words, content with mediocrity. We talked about animals, because obviously Sarah and I are going to talk about animals. She told me about crying on the floor ahead of a huge career highlight and then gave me a really unexpected and heartfelt answer to whom she has always considered lucky. I loved this conversation, and I hope you do too. So here is me, Dorno Porter, talking to the wonderful Sarah Pascoe. With all of the success, my goodness, podcasts, stand-up, sitcom, mm-hmm. books regular panel show list Um, all sorts of things the list is endless do you feel lucky? I feel very very lucky I think lucky is a very interesting word because it doesn't just suggest good fortune it reinforces that you know that sometimes it's not based on merit Uh and I think that's where I when I was a child I felt so lucky that I was born in England mm-hmm. everything you still feel that way yeah well, kind of <laughs> well, that's the thing so it's that, then it suddenly sounds very like nationalistic yeah <laughs> I'm like best country in the world yeah. actually I wasn't born in England yeah. can I just correct that I was actually okay. born in Scotland okay but, but yeah Britain as, as you were, yes. yeah but so Great Britain I was so aware that being a, a child in Britain I was so much luckier than the majority of children in the world mm-hmm. and I didn't come from a privileged family my mum was a teenager when she had me and she was um, really struggled for a very long time but even within that I was so aware because of my education because I was never starving um, because of the social state mm-hmm. all those kind of things I knew how lucky I was and then <clears throat> when I was slightly older at university I realised 
to have been a woman in in many other countries or at any other time I was so incredibly lucky to be alive now yes and then when my career started going well I actually had what you know like kind of cognitive dissonance but I think lots of people can get where when you're fighting against the world like just notice me I'm rejected from anything Mm -hmm. I'll come back I just get stronger yeah but when the world goes like oh actually yeah you can have that this odd thing happens to be like, oh, I must be mentally ill. Right. Because this was a dream. Okay. And then it's happening. Yeah. Like 14-year-old me like had like all these lists and all these diaries and like ambitions. And then when some of them kind of like, I'm on TV now. And like, I used to really love Mock the Week and like wish I would get a chance to do it. And then when right. I was on it and the theme <clears> tune's <throat> happening, I was like, oh, it's a dream. Yeah. <laughs> it's a dream. I'm very sick. <laughs> I'm in a hospital somewhere going, oh, yes, hello, Dara. And they're like, oh, bless her. She thinks she's on panel shows. Which doesn't really matter, does it? No, it, it doesn't. Does, if it, however exactly. real it can feel in the moment. It doesn't have to be true. So when you think about like how much you wanted to do those things, when mm. you're actually doing it, how do you cope with nerves? I cope with nerves by being very content with mediocrity. If you have a job where you feel sometimes you're not completely in control of how it goes because yeah. it's an audience and that kind of thing, you can have this anxiety of, oh, I hope, like, you. it's not just like doing a job you can matter-of-factly lay out. You think, oh, there's all these variables, I hope it goes well. My way to calm myself down is that it's not going to be the most amazing thing ever and it's not going to be the worst thing ever. It's going to be somewhere in the middle. Right. And so you've practised it before, you'll have to respond to things that happen. And I heard a yoga teacher say about yoga that it's like it's not competitive and that when you do a class you've got nothing to prove Mm -hmm. everything to share and so that's what I started to say to myself before I went on stage and did things was like you're not here to like everyone needs to see how amazing I am you're just here to share what you've got yeah and that helps because sometimes with the other stuff you can feel really insufficient right if you start going like I'm gonna even I know some people that does help them to be like I'm gonna be the best version of me but then my inner monologue would then go but that isn't very good is it the best version of you so maybe (laughs) yes (laughs) why are you even here when I first got offered Live at the Apollo which is like the biggest I think for lots of people the stand-up show that they want to be on on Mm -hmm. TV and I got offered it I'd been doing stand-up for maybe six years and um and I felt very new and very like what if it goes badly and then I thought well, would I rather be the worst person ever on Live at the Apollo or not do Live at the Apollo? And then I thought, oh, I'd rather do it and exactly. be the worst person ever on there. <laughs> at least you've done it. Yeah. So sometimes you just have to go, oh, no, OK, fine. Take some pressure off. Yeah. Yeah. And also I think with nerves, you can wallow in how terrible it's going to be. And actually, you just need to tell yourself that you're already in the top percent for being asked to do it in the first place and trust that yes. you've been put into this position. I think whatever makes you, you calm down. Um, I, I heard... David Baddiel saying that you can tell yourself that it's not fear, it's excitement. That nerves is sometimes you going, oh, that's an exciting thing I'm doing. Yeah. Rather than a, I'm, I'm fearful of that thing. That's a really nice way to look Isn't at it. Isn't it? Yeah. There's lots of ways. Whatever calms you down. I just dribbled yeah. because Did you? I'm so excited. <laughs> I just had this digital you walk on yes, stage. Yeah, yeah. I'm shaking violently because I'm so mm. excited. I just puked in the bucket because yeah. I'm so excited yes. yeah, that's and it. everything's going to be But you do fine. get it sometimes. Have you ever had it like <clears throat> when you're really looking forward to a night out? Mm. I sometimes get a feeling like before I go on stage. So much just so. like I, don't, I can't eat dinner. Like yeah. this, this other thing and you, you want to start thinking about it at four in the afternoon. Yeah. Like that kind of feeling. Yeah. So yeah this is where it's very interesting when you work in a career which is um, we all consider to be a meritocracy if it's working very well for us mm-hmm. and all consider deeply unfair right. <laughs> if it's not. <laughs> yeah. And um, and there are people who look at... So this happens a lot with comedy. 
there's a lot of comics who perhaps maybe they don't get on panel shows or they've not they've not been doing TV or especially with some of the older ones they used to and they don't anymore. Uh-huh. And um, if they don't really like your work, of course it looks like luck. Yes. If they think you're the unfunniest person in the world, yet you keep getting booked on anything, that's me. Yeah. Um, so uh, then of course it looks like luck and, and, and people will say things like, who is your agent? They must be the hardest working agent in yeah. show business. And you go, well, she does work very hard. Well, and also, <laughs> yeah. I do also think that sometimes when you're just not very good and you you say, look, mm. well, it's not going well, you're just not very good and you don't get booked again or it didn't go very mm. well and you instantly like, well, it was, it was, I had that, I think, yes. what was it? Was it eight out of 10 cats I went on? Yeah. I just wasn't very good yeah. but I got so I came off it to this absolute furore on Twitter about oh. a piece of my hair being out of place and it was oh. just so it all became about my hair but I came off it just going well it's because there aren't enough women on panel yes, show and then yeah. I was kind of lying in bed that night going I just don't think I was very good I'm not like, yes. I'm not a comedian you really have to kind of step back it's really hard because I think it's so we all create a narrative about those things and actually it's very hard not to go well it was weighted against me uh-huh. because and this is, and it isn't just a gender thing. Quite often, it's a new thing. Like a panel show is quite often a skill. When you watch people who are brilliant at it, and I'd say like someone like Catherine Ryan, there are so many things at stake. Number one is it doesn't matter if the audience laugh uh-huh. in the room, but um, it really does matter. Like to your body, you shrivel up and die. Yeah. If you just made a joke and no one laughs, you just don't want to talk for an hour. You just you go bright red. You're yeah. looking down. It's horrible. You don't join in, and, and you're away. It's being filmed. Like you yeah. feel so ashamed. <laughs> Whereas you watch someone who's really brilliant at a panel show and they say their thing and then they do it and then it's the next thing and then they say their thing because none of it matters. No. So, so there are lots of things you learn from experience. But yeah, there are some people who would do it and not enjoy it or not think they really showcase what they can do and they'd go, oh, it's because I don't feel safe. I yeah. don't feel welcome. If the host doesn't find you funny, uh-huh. then the audience don't find you funny. Yeah, and you don't that's find very you true. Funny. Whereas there are some people who are so generous to work with, like there's uh, people who really love Nish Kumar and they really love Ramesh Ranganathan to work with and the reason is they laugh at you so much oh god so that's actually you, want. You, you get a little bit like cocky yeah and you start to like show off for them and, and, and everyone just flourishes around them because they make you feel like you're brilliant that's fantastic yes. what a lovely quality to have yes. especially in yeah. one of those where it is a little it is quite competitive isn't it of who's going to get their lines out and it's nice to feel yes. like you're being just yeah supported yes yeah and, and that's the thing it is they're laughing at each other and that's why sometimes with the gender balance and all kinds of representation, it, it is a factor. Because if everyone in the room thinks you're great or has geeked with you before, yeah. then you're going to do a better job. Of course. Than, yeah. Of course. Um, so can you pinpoint a, a moment in your life when maybe to the external world you looked very lucky, but the reality wasn't so? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That that the idea... So I, when I very first got my agent, mm-hmm. so I'd been doing stand-up for a few months and I'd been an actor for ages and I've... So my, I spent years and years auditioning for drama school and I never got in. And then um, the kind of acting work I'd done, I'd done lots of like theatre and education. Mm-hmm. And I was currently doing this tour of old people's homes and we were doing reminiscence theatre. So I was based in New Forest and um, uh, we were yeah, getting up at eight in the morning. We were doing these plays that were based on driving in the 50s right. after the war. It was when women started to learn to drive. So this oh is what a little play was with songs. And um, then I did the Funny Women competition. My agent saw me and messaged me. And I thought it was my best friend Carrie doing it as a joke because right. I had such low self-esteem. So I thought she was pretending <laughs> to be an agent to kind of make me feel better. Anyway, so I got this agent. And then my life completely changed because it was the first time I had like kind of someone supporting me and believing in me, which is absolutely huge. And there's a reason that we kind of seek those things. Mm -hmm. 
But then what happened is the gigs I were getting were suddenly a lot better. And I remember what happened because my confidence was still quite low and it wasn't enough to go, well, you're booked on the gig, you're good enough. So right. I remember having one that was for um, Horn and Corden. Um, James Corden is the, the Corden in that. They were hosting a BBC event and it was for like BBC staff. Mm-hmm. Like, so all the producers and promoters and not the really promoters, but people making stuff in-house. And it was going to be like 150 people in this bar. And the lineup was all much, much more experienced comics. And Jack Whitehall was on. And there was other people who'd been going longer than me and were already like established exciting new yeah. comedians and I remember um crying on the kitchen floor because oh, I was Sarah. so scared I was yeah. so scared my boyfriend saying this is what you wanted because to him I had this I was so lucky I was right. so lucky to be on at this gig with these amazing people I was being taken as seriously as they were and it was so hard to have any sympathy for me yeah and a different boyfriend um, who also did comedy. All my boyfriends always do comedy. And um, it was, I I would have been doing like maybe my second live at the Apollo. And um, I really wanted him to be there. And he said, it's really embarrassing for me to just like be there as a boyfriend. Aww. Yeah, so this whole thing's really hard. And and he couldn't understand why I was getting into such a state about it. Because live at the Apollo, you sh- you, you've been doing those jokes for ages. Yeah. And so the advice is like, just go out and do it like a club gig. Just do right. it like... But it kind of, it really means something. Yes, and, it's huge. And some people have the best gig of their lives. And if that isn't you, it just feels like such a disappointment. Like, anyway. How was it when you did it? Terrible. Oh. <laughs> because, I, do you know what? I got so nervous that, have you ever, you know when you can hear your inner monologue yeah. louder than everything yes, else? Yes, it's terrible. And so live at the Apollo, you stand behind the sign and you stand there for about two minutes. They've done your final checks and you just stand there. No. And, you, and, and you're standing behind it. And then, and then for me, me, I'm like, bumps. I know. So I'm like, I'm going to be inside the television. I'm going to be inside the television <laughs> like this. And then the smoke starts. And so you have to walk forward, you, but you can't see. And so the one thing they say is don't, do, don't try and move the smoke with your hands. You have to walk, <laughs> walk you, have to, you have to walk really confidently forward. Don't worry, we move the sign. Because some people get scared they're going to walk into right. the sign, but it goes up. They're like, just walk forward really confidently. And you get so inside your head, or I did, and this one, I just got to a point where I was so nervous that then when I was talking, I kept thinking, and what is the next bit? And what is the next right. bit? So you don't deliver anything properly and you feel like you're fake and you're lying. And then afterwards you get this like, again, like it just goes through your veins. Like, oh no, I'm so embarrassed. Aww. Straight in the car, just want to go home. And the trouble is, if your partner does the same job, um, it's not fair. Yeah. It's not fair that you got this opportunity and they didn't. They would like a crack at it. And he just couldn't be soft right. to me but years later after we broke up he got live at the Apollo and then texted me in the car when I finally know how you feel oh wow because he just got it but this is the thing that's really hard sometimes that empathy do you know you're like should we get back together yeah and no <laughs> <laughs> um, no but it, it's a very very difficult when something to you seems like that's all I'd want I wouldn't care mm-hmm. how the gig went I just want an opportunity right. I wouldn't I would never cry in the car you got to do this quite often the other thing that people say to you is well you got paid right you've got your money and you go that doesn't wipe away <laughs> like, uh-huh. this is my heart this is my my most precious thing it's my work Nothing ever makes you go like, yeah, got paid. Got Who paid. cares? Who like, cares? Yeah. But he, so he understood. He got, he was nervous. And then when he was on stage, had that weird inner monologue thing and it was fine, but not brilliant. Yeah. And he got in the car and went, oh, this is what she meant. It feels awful. Do you feel that now, because of your success, you're much more in command of your material and kind of don't have those moments so often? 
No, because it, it all just comes from such desperation to be liked. Right. And also the whole thing with comedy is if people don't laugh, you're not funny. And it's yeah. so your whole job is devalued. <sighs> like the whole Why job. Why do you do this? But I have a theory about comedians that it's all to do with... The fun part of it is something that you will never win. It's not a, It's just an unwinnable journey. You yeah. have to do another gig tomorrow. The brilliant side of that is there's always another gig and the beginning of hope and a new bit and a new, or a new Edinburgh. Yeah. And that's wonderful. But the, the second thing is it doesn't matter how successful you get. If the audience don't laugh, you're bad. Yes, and, and so that I, can happen to anyone at any yes, point. and that's it. So I have gigs now where I'm supposed to be the headliner, but I'm like doing new stuff up and I'll be following acts who aren't on TV and the audience will think, well... Why is she? Why is she on TV coming out here blathering on about a new puppy? Right. <laughs> we just who, some... by the way? I know. Isn't oh, he handsome? Come on. Isn't he handsome? He's just so floppy and soft and cute. I know. He's... So that's where actually, in terms of like feeling lucky, um, I've, I've just bought a flat, which out of jokes, I bought mm. a flat out of jokes. Amazing! Money. Yes. Congratulations! Thank you. And then being able to get a dog, because I've got my own flat. It's got a garden. That feels like so incredibly lucky. So that's the thing. You know, in like with Instagram terms, which is it is now, it is as good as it looks. I've got a puppy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, oh, he's just delicious. Isn't getting a puppy so life affirming? Yes. You just think about him and like talk about him yeah. and just all the time. And it's just, it's so just sweet. like true love. Like when you love somebody, your heart opens to everybody. And so it's so lovely. Like I have never been good at talking to like strangers around right. my house, but now I know my neighbours. Got that community that you enter yes, into when yeah. you walk a dog. It's That's amazing, it. isn't it? Yeah. It's really amazing. Because you've got a, puppy in america yeah, we, yeah we've got potato who yeah. he's like oh my god i mean oh, i think chris and i got him nine years ago mm. when they we rescued him and they were like yeah. he's probably around 18 months so oh. i mean i'd yes, say yeah. I, I think he's sometimes i look at potato and i'm like you're just this little puppy and other yeah. times i turn around and he's like this doddery old man oh. and i can't bear it he is also the world's most perfect person. Yeah. It's just the nicest. I love something you posted once. It was a picture of him and you said, if all my children were like potato, I'd have had a lot more. Oh, I would just be pregnant now. <laughs> <Yeah>. I just <laughs> literally would always be pregnant. Yeah. He's so gorgeous. I mean, you yeah. know, he had terrible issues with separation anxiety when we got him and we kind of worked through that and he always yes. hates being alone. But yeah. he's just, in terms of that, like really typical relationship that mm. you want. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
the dog of them being a companion, like him and Chris are just mm. best friends in the world. Yeah. Potato is just always in Chris's armpit yeah, and it's just the sweetest thing. Nice. And then I've got this asshole of a Siamese cat who's just ruining our lives. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And I was, so I got Lulu probably around uh, 16 years ago, like early 20s, single in London. Yeah. And I've literally traveled the world with this cat in a basket. Yeah. And now, and I always felt very lucky to have her. I was like, yeah. I'm never alone. Mm. I'm never. I never feel lonely. Yeah. I didn't care when I was single for years. Mm. I just I just had my cat. I was very content. I think animals can just make you feel so I think it so gives loved. you so much of the oxytocin of bodily contact that that kind of gnawing loneliness doesn't, doesn't exist. No. I used to say it's another heartbeat in my house. Yeah. There's another heartbeat with me all the time. I'm yes. not alone. Yeah. And, you know, I think eventually you kind of think, okay, maybe I should be looking to replace you with a boyfriend. But yeah. but also, isn't it lovely to take care of someone when it's easy things yes. that they need? Like I love the whole thing of like, oh, do you need a thing? I'll sort that out yeah, for you. Yeah, I'm just going to go yeah. get that for you yeah, cute little guy yeah um yeah and it's so nice and it got so yeah but we've got Lilo and she's like you know she just pisses on everything I'm always complaining about this cat Chris is like can't believe I've got this cat in my life like just yeah I've got you and her and I have to like take you both <laughs> it's just so awful like she's horrible and mad but she's also very cute yeah. no but oh congratulations on the flat congratulations on the dog because those are two yeah. really really life like changing yes. things to acquire yeah and that's and that's something that you'd, you'd in terms of like luck I think that's something where I'd be very happy using the word that about to to be able to buy property in London yeah. at all now, especially. I mean, it doesn't matter where the luck comes from. Some people are lucky because their parents have got money or uh-huh. their parents are willing to remortgage their house. To There are all kinds of ways, but we should feel like, oh, this is luck. Absolutely. Because there are people that for no fault of their own might never be in that position. Yeah. And it isn't fair how money works. No, I know. It's wild, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so who do you look at and consider lucky? Hmm. So I've got one answer which is really sad. Go for it. Really? Yes, of course. It, but, it, but this is going to be really sad, Dawn. It's really up to sad. you. Sure? I, I'm, okay. I'm I'll start it. saying it. So this is something, this is really sad though. I'm going to try and say it in a not too sad way. All right. Um, so my cousin just died. Oh, sweetheart. And she's 40. And um, so she's my oldest cousin. Uh-huh. And it was so funny when you asked me to do your podcast because this is what I kept thinking about with her dying. I was so jealous of her. Right. Like, um, so when I was about 13, so Jane would have been 15. Mm-hmm. And um, so she's the eldest. There's 21 cousins on my dad's sex. My dad's one of nine. And um, Jane is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, but not, not like just like, oh, you know, like when girls say their friend is beautiful and you're like, yeah, yeah, I see, her. I see what you see in her. Right. Jane's like Pamela Anderson. Wow. So she's tiny. She's one of those people who's like absolutely like skinny, skinny, skinny with massive tits. And I used to have to share a room with her on holiday and she would walk around in pants and I would just like hate her. Like, <laughs> your life is so easy. Yeah. You have just got tits and no cellulite and this little bum. And, um, and, uh, the strange thing was with her dying so she's just died of cancer she had breast cancer three times yeah. the first time she got breast cancer I had this guilt of like I've always I've always been so jealous of her boobs mm-hmm. I'm jealous of anyone with boobs because like lots of small breasted women it just feels like this thing again it feels like luck like just nature just yeah. is like boom boom yeah. you're gonna need a bra <laughs> and, um, and 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 I just thought oh, what? this is what's the silly thing about um, envying other people anything mm-hmm. like, well, obviously what you explore in your book so brilliantly is that you just you have no idea what it's like to be inside someone else you have no idea of what's going on in their brain and um what's just happened to jane is just the most unlucky thing 
God, that could happen to anyone. Like it's just so awful. You're just the cancerless. This thing happens to your body. I know. And and um, it was already in her liver by the time they got it the third time. She got given two weeks and just had. To, and it was like, right, okay, that's it. It's like the shittest thing. It's the absolute shittest thing. It's the shittest thing. I'm so sorry. I know. But then I wanted to say that because it's it's a really prime example. It's something that's really odd for me to now feel so guilty about. Mm. Then going, she had the shittest life. It's so shit. Yeah. Yeah. Was she ill for a long time? No. So what she had... um, So you said the third time she got it. So she she had breast cancer, went into remission... So it was treated, but that was like kind of eight years ago. And then the second time she got breast cancer, right. full mastectomy. Um, she doesn't have the BRCA gene, but she obviously has some kind of mm-hmm. gene, but full operation. So what it was awful. And also Jane is the only person I know who like, she refused chemo the first time because right. she didn't want to lose her hair. And it just hadn't been explained to her properly. So she was like, they said it only improves your chances by 20%. So what's that? And then my mum was like, oh my, oh God, my God, God, I need to explain this to <laughs> yeah. you. What they When they use those statistics, it doesn't mean anything. Like you have to have chemo. Mm-hmm. And then Jane got driven there and then just got back in the car and went, no, I can't face it. No. And so how, how has this affected you personally in terms of just the way that you feel about life and you and... yeah. How insignificant do things seem now? Well, I've actually, because it's happened so recently, last weekend, what I've had is this weird week where, like, I can't, you can't say to people, so like on my book launch on mm-hmm. Tuesday, people are like, hey, how are you? You must be right. so happy. I want to go like, it's so weird because I just keep wanting to say to people like, oh, we're just like, yeah, of I'm planning the funeral and this is happening. I haven't had, but I do feel, I understand why people social um, post on social media when things like this happen because you have this urge to just go like, just love people, just hold them, just right. whoever you've got in your house right now, just give them a hug. Like you do feel that urge. Yeah. But then I also quite judge people who make those statements, so I didn't. Do you think there's also a part of uh, this? Obviously, this podcast can be on in a few months, yes, but this is yeah. the week of your book yes, coming yeah. out. So we were at your book launch on yeah. Tuesday, and um, oh, I, I mean, I obviously would never have guessed that you've just been through this in the last yes, week. Yeah. Um, but do you think sometimes people use social media in the way that it's just a really like one quick way of just letting everyone know what's yes, going on? Because then you don't have to keep saying it yeah. and you don't have to you don't have to deal with it anymore. Yeah. Um, sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? When people yes. are just like, now it's done, you all know. Yeah, everyone knows. I guess it's the thing about then, I'm just too judgmental about it. It's when people then go back. So someone might say on Facebook, this terrible thing has happened to me or this is what I'm going through at the moment or I'm having a bad day and I do mm-hmm. understand the urge to do it. And then it's all the hugs and hands underneath that makes me kind of, it's difficult to engage or sometimes you feel like, is this performative? Right. You know, when someone famous dies, it's performative kind of grief. Yeah. But actually I know that people do have real grief, mm-hmm. but when I feel sad, my I don't have this urge to, I don't feel like I want other people to go, um sending you hugs yeah Yeah. and also it can just all feel it doesn't matter what you say because it doesn't change anything and I know you're being nice but just I just don't need it or don't want it right now whereas it it must be true that other people desperately do need it and it does mean a lot when they go thank you for those comments and that kind of thing I think so yeah and that's the thing well your friend Carriad who you just mentioned who did this absolutely amazing Mm. podcast about grief I actually went on it and I was so like this is. It was my sister who tells yes. me about everybody. Yes. She told yeah. me all about you. She yeah. says, do you know about Sarah yeah. Pascoe? I was like, oh my God, this woman. <laughs> and then she told me about Carrie Ad and her podcast called Griefcast, mm. which is basically just people going on, usually someone who's kind of involved in comedy in some mm. way or and um, talking about grief in their lives. Yeah. And I'm sure you'll probably at some point go on it and talk um, about I, this. I did her very first not. episode when she was practising. Right. And I felt like such an imposter because uh, all of the people I know who've died, I mean... 
there was like someone when I was 16, like a friend, but it was like my granddad. So basically my parents were alive. And I know that in kind of, I always feel, even with Carrie, I'd still, and I've known her for like nearly 20 years, I still have this, I absolutely know that when your parents are alive, you don't really understand yeah. parents, people who've, who, whose parents aren't with them anymore, who have died. Um, but the trouble is with human experience, you always think you can imagine it. Yeah. So you go like, mm, yeah, I think I can yeah. or understand. Some, someone yeah. says something like, yeah, I mean, like, I haven't really experienced it, but I can just write, when, when our dog died, yes, it was just this, yeah. like, real feeling that mm. something had gone. I'm like, it's just not, yes. it's just not Yeah, <laughs> I think I once said to Karen when we first met, oh, I do understand, actually, because my, my dad lives in Australia, right. which is nearly dead. Okay. <laughs> She's like, okay, that's not the same thing. <laughs> not the same thing, but you understand some sort of displacement yeah. Oh, feeling. yeah, like, he left. Yeah. Like, it's the same. Yeah. Um, do you feel that there's... Because you're known as a funny person, is that a pressure on you? Because I always feel really sorry for my friends who mm. are known as comedians. Yes. That um, we just shared a gorgeous moment there where you were honest about something that's happened in your life. Yeah. And maybe, um, I mean, you're kind of, yes. you know, this is also a serious book that I've yes. got in my hands, and your yeah. podcast is talking about serious mm. issues. But do you will always be under the bracket of comedian, mm. and people will expect you but to I be don't, funny? I don't feel that pressure at all because, like, if I was a builder, I wouldn't build anything outside of work. Mm-hmm. And so I feel very comfortable with my job. Like, I'm a serious woman. Yeah. I've always been a serious woman. Definitely, if I've been hired for a job to be a comedian, I will do my best. Uh-huh. And that's where I can fail at it. But in real life, I'm very happy to disappoint people. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, very happy straight away. That whole, I remember the, the first thing that happened, you, you know, when you, you, don't, you haven't learned yet not to tell taxi drivers what you do for a living. Yes. So originally when you start going, oh, actually, I'm a stand-up comedian, and they say, tell me a joke. I learned so quickly to go, like, no. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't expect you to drive me somewhere where you're not working. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. You mentioned before um, they need to be liked on stage. Yes. My need to be liked just in every room I mm, walk into mm, is mm. the most exhausting part of my life. And I sometimes wish, yeah. I, I say to myself, it doesn't matter. I've got good people in my life who love me. I don't yeah. need to walk into that room and have that person who isn't acknowledging me. Mm. I don't have to force them into liking yes. me. Are you like that? Yeah, well, everyone is because, you know, like, number one, that's cats. But also, because you know that's yeah. what cats do. That's yeah. why they go for the person who's ignoring them. But also, um, it's really interesting because it's an evolutionary tactic. You're only safe if you're safe in every tribe that you're in. Right. So the logic of going, well, I've got a tribe 200 miles away. I don't need a new one doesn't work. We are a social creature. And that means that your standing in every single group will be a factor in your success right. and your safety. So it really matters if everyone likes you. And we all focus on the people who don't because they're the only people we need to win over. Right. So you don't have to focus on the people like, yeah, fine, you're like me. It's why in an audience and most people who have done any public speaking will know this, if there is someone frowning with their arms and legs crossed uh-huh. not meeting you in the eye, that will just throw out the fact that other people are having a nice time. Right. You'll be like, oh my God, why does he hate me? What have I done? But apparently that's the thing. It's like I'm concentrating, remembering negative things and not positive things. Yeah. You have to learn from them. So unfortunately, we're kind of wired that way. We are. How do you cope with negativity thrown at you? I mean, yes. by, your, by your fans uh, or your non-fans, yes, I suppose. I think you, I, keep, I keep relearning the same thing. So I keep relearning the fact that um, it's not school and that when, when you're kind of visible... You're not going to please everyone, mm-hmm. which is which is not telling myself off that it hurts because it does hurt when people don't like me. Yeah, when I think I'm so nice, I'm so nice. Um, it it's up. That's a completely separate thing that you can't control. And in terms of negativity, that quite often I here's what I've had to learn. 
being criticised is different to being trolled and they can feel the same. Yes, so someone that's saying, a really good point. I don't like this about what you said here or I wish you'd mentioned this or this was insufficient for me, that can hurt. And you can go, oh my God, I'm getting trolled. Uh-huh. It's like, no, 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 you are not. Someone yes. quite politely actually said, I disagree. But it can like burn. Like, I oh know. no, I, I let you down. And again, and then, but quite often there's there's something to learn in there, either about something you can do in future or just about yourself when you go, actually, maybe I will mention that next time or mm-hmm. that's going to inform me for future things. But then saying that I'm not really on social media, I don't really read stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've started getting someone to do my website emails for me. Oh, that's a good to idea. To filter them out. Yeah. Just because I was getting too hurt. Yes. In, I was arguing with people in my head for months. Mm-hmm. I did a Sunday Times, like, it would have been like a promo thing with a shoot. And I must have said something about, their, their tagline was something about, um, and the bad things in my life have really informed my work. Just something like that. Right. And this man said, do something useful like cure Ebola. Oh, Jesus. That's what he wrote to me. <laughs> but you then, should, though. Yeah. And then for months, I kept thinking, you really want me to retrain as a medical professional? Like, and tra- Look, okay, they would not want me in a lab. They would not want me in the hospital. I, if I go to Africa and say, I'm here to cure Ebola, like, am I going to cause them a problem? Like, I just kept arguing with him in my head. And then I thought, oh, I just shouldn't read them. Like, shouldn't read them. Just, like, I can just get someone to filter those ones out. Yeah. When you're in the entertainment industry, you are literally just trying to entertain people. Well, that's it. But my, So when I decided I wanted to be an actor, my sister, who's 18 months younger than me and a school teacher, mm-hmm. said, like, your career is so selfish. Right. Like, like, as in, it's the most selfish thing. My sister, Cheryl, is also the talented one. Okay. So she's a very good singer and a very good actor. <laughs> and she instead, like, obviously, she, she teaches people GCSEs uh, and, and is, is amazing, amazing at her job. But she's like, you're literally doing something that's all about yourself. But my dad, who is a jazz musician... Um, he has this kind of Randian philosophy. Um, what's it called? Individualism, right. which is like you can't make anyone else happy unless you're happy yourself. Okay, and he wow. said, he said, people who martyr themselves to make other people happy become very bitter and very angry, and they're not great friends. They're not great parents. Uh-huh. And he said, make yourself happy, and you just then you could. And I and I'm so I'm in that camp, yeah. which isn't the same as the nurses get home for a from yeah. a from a 14 hour underpaid day and love to watch me on Have I Got News for You. I do not think that's true. No. And. But at the same time, I do think there are people who love their jobs, who'd have quite silly, maybe frivolous to society jobs, who then pay a huge amount of tax and yeah. contribute to society and all those kind of things. And I do think it's all a balance, isn't it? It is. Because if we were all nurses, there'd be a lot of, be a lot of complaints. <laughs> a lot of complaints <laughs> about the care that people were yeah, getting. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And also, I think I think everyone's got a valid job in, and I do think that entertainment is a valid job in the world that we live in and trying to make people laugh and all of that, but yeah. maybe not. It's just, diffi- it's just difficult to argue it. Yes. Like, I believe it, but I wouldn't want to have to go up in front of everyone and go, guys, yeah. <laughs> what we do is so yeah. valid. But I think, I mean, it's because I don't consider like comedy art, but if you want to wear art in general... I think it's so such an important part of like being a human being. And mm-hmm. then when you start to crack down on those things, then like where is the joy? What is anything for? Yeah. Sarah, you're so lovely to talk to. I feel like we could <laughs> sit here for about five hours. Yeah. I love it when a conversation goes from like peak up to peak down yes. and heavily in the middle as well. And yeah. I've just loved this so much. Oh, me Thank, too. You Thank you so Thank you. much. A massive thanks again to Sarah for such an amazingly open and honest conversation with me. I wasn't expecting it and I loved it and I'm grateful. And of course, my heart goes out to you, Sarah, and to your family and of course to Jane. 
Sarah's brilliant book, Sex, Power, Money, is out now, as is her podcast of the same name, which I loved. My favourite episode was the one where Sarah is talking to women who work in the sex industry. I didn't realise how much stigma I had attached to that, but by the end I was like, go girls! You are living your life your way. Good one, Sarah. I've got some brilliant conversations lined up for you with upcoming episodes of So Lucky, so please make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your smart speaker of choice to get each one as it drops. If you like the cut of my jib, please have a read of my new novel, also called So Lucky, which is a book about really getting to the bottom of people's real lives rather than the best selves they put out there for the rest of the world to see. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate a review on whatever platform you're using because it helps other listeners find the podcast and is just a really nice thing for you to do. So thank you very much. And thanks again to Sarah, our producer, Emma Corsham at Rethink Audio, to Fanula, Liz, Kim, and all of the team at HarperCollins, and to you for listening. I'm very grateful. See you next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.